A special guest joins the Access Louisville podcast this week. Kyle Henderson from the Angels Envy Distillery is going to chat with us about life in the bourbon industry during the COVID-19 crisis. Pull up a chair and a glass. It's going to be a good one. Thanks for joining us. My name is David Mann, and joining me today is Kyle Henderson. Hey guys, hashtag best bourbon, that's us. <laughs> and Sarah Shadburn. <laughs> hey there. All right, so that was that was a pretty good tagline you tried out there, uh, <laughs> Kyle. I really appreciate it. Um, let, let's see here. Access Louisville is a weekly podcast from Louisville Business First. Each week we bring you the latest news and the sharpest opinions on the city we love. Louisville, Kentucky. But before we do that, I'm going to start this show the way I always do, with a difficult question for our panel. So guys, we're going to talk a lot about bourbon today. So I wanted to see if you could take me back to the first time you ever tried bourbon. What did you think of it? And, you know, how do you like to enjoy it today compared to back then? And I'll start us off. Uh, the first bourbon I ever tried was Jim Beam, and I probably was not 21 at the time. And I thought it was terrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, back then I used to like mix it with some Coke or something and that made it a little more palatable. These days, I uh, I like Jim Beam, like it fine. And uh, I usually drink my bourbon on the rocks. So that's kind of what I'm looking for there. Uh, Kyle, I'll start with you on this one. Sure. So for me, my first time was much younger than I probably should have. Um, sure. And to be fair, it wasn't it wasn't purposeful um my grandfather um had taken me and one of my brothers out and some other family members to a bowling alley actually we were bowling mm -hmm. and oh i was probably 14 and he got a uh, an old forester and ginger ale from the bowling alley bar and we had cokes or ginger ale as the other boys did and I accidentally grabbed his drink and took a big drink of it and promptly spit everything out because, oh, my goodness, there was something wrong. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was my first experience. And then, of course, I had had uh, since then other things. Um, I guess the first time that I purposefully had some some bourbon uh, was actually Woodford Reserve. Um, so mm -hmm. with my grand Lincoln, his history with Grant Foreman, you know, we had a lot of access to those things. Um, sure. And wasn't the was still relatively young. It wasn't the best thing I've ever had, but um, it was kind of my foray into the into the bourbon world. Uh, now I drink it all the time. Um, and yeah. when I do, it's normally going to be on the rocks. Um, I'm sitting on my back porch having a cigar or something. So eat or on mm -hmm. the rocks. Yeah, that's the way I like it too. Uh, Sarah, how about you? You know, I probably don't remember the actual first time I ever took a sip of bourbon, but for um, all, all intents and purposes, the first time I truly tried bourbon um, was actually Four Roses, um, and I had it at a tasting event at the um, Four Roses bottling facility in Cox's Creek, and uh, it was super nice, really enjoyable experience, uh, and it was delicious because, you know, in the past I haven't been the biggest fan of dark liquor, but um, yeah. I really like it now, so <laughs> that's so awesome. You, you developed a taste for it through your job, I guess. <laughs> right. It's a cool job perk. Um, <laughs> fun learning curve there. But uh, now I really just like it in uh, cocktails, like uh, an old fashioned, something like that, mm -hmm. or Manhattan. 
Yeah. And I should caveat that Sarah is our bourbon reporter for Business First. Uh, and how long have you been in that role? Has it been about six months now, right? Yeah, I just had my six-month anniversary on May 11th. So Okay, yeah. So we'll just pass that. Um, I used to be our bourbon reporter. I can vouch that it's a fun job. Uh, <laughs> and Kyle, um, just to give people an idea, what's your uh, what's your role over at Angels Envy? Sure. So I am the distillery production manager here at Angels Envy. Uh, and what mm. that means is I do a little bit of everything. Um, so my teams are responsible for all of our raw material coming in. We're going to mm-hmm. cook it, ferment it, distill it. Then I have another team that's responsible for putting it into barrels, putting it in the warehouse. We monitor aging, maturation. Uh, then I have another mm-hmm. team responsible for pulling the barrels, sampling. We bring them back to the distillery for blending, um, to be batched together. Uh, and then it's handed off to our bottling team, who is responsible for putting it in the package and sending it out the door to retailers and bars and things going on. So pretty much end-to-end, uh, finished goods, all the way back to yeah. the beginning, corn coming. So uh, you're kind of overseeing it, I guess, um, and overseeing these various teams. Do so you ever step in, you get to taste it early on or, uh, you know, as it's aging or as it's uh, being batched or anything like that? Oh, of course. So I'm also the, the, the plant blender um, for our facility. Mm-hmm. So all of the different, uh, I guess, the, the different work and process for all of the areas. So whether it's fermentation active, new distillate coming off the still, various times of aging throughout its aging life of five or six years, filtration, processing, or embottling. Um, yeah. I personally have to interact with a lot of those aspects just to verify things are going as expected. They taste correct. Or uh, mm. in some cases, it doesn't. You know, sometimes we have a problem with how to correct it. Um, in other cases, you actually have a, a, call it a good problem, but things have improved or you get an un- unusual characteristic that's not necessarily bad, but it's not what you're looking for. So one, how did that right. happen? How did it keep from happening? Or if it's something that we want to continue to do, how do we make it happen again? And, and sometimes that's trial and error kind of stuff, which is where, where a lot of the fun Yeah, I bet that is either fun or frustrating. Um, yeah, few people, you know, I mean, me and Sarah have both been bourbon writers, and I think few people can say there's a cooler job than that. But I think you can because you're actually producing bourbon. So um, <laughs> so I think that's uh, you're one of the few people who can actually uh, claim that. But um, just to kind of like lead in here, you know, on the, the COVID-19 outbreak and the coronavirus, um, it, 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 we've been talking about that on this show since pretty much, I think, late February, it seems like every show has been something to do with coronavirus. And then as soon as we got quarantined, I mean, we used to have a studio downtown. We obviously can't go to it. Uh, so we've been doing this over the phone. We're still kind of figuring that out a little bit. But this show lately for the last couple of months has just been about coronavirus. So um, and pretty much anything has, I guess. But uh, so how's the outbreak been for Angels Envy? And how have you guys kind of continued production and that sort of thing? Sure. Well, I mean, fortunately for us, um, a few of us here at the plant are a little paranoid. Um, we, we've actually been tracking and monitoring this. Um, we went back, I went back and looked at some of our emails with internal. Um, the, where it really started taking a, hey, we should actually be looking at this, was January 9th. Um, I think it was a oh, wow. Saturday, if I remember correctly. So we've been watching this for a while. Um, I, I, I've always kind of had an interest in, in um, 
you know, pathology and some of these diseases and things. So just how things track and when the swine flu and H2N and all that kind of stuff came out years ago, you know, I was much younger, but I still followed it. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I actually watched some of this develop in China long before it ever, ever left China, at least that anybody had acknowledged. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we started putting plans in place of, all right, what happens if it comes to the U.S., which it did a couple of weeks later? What happens as it gets worse? Um, so we, we fared pretty well. Uh, obviously, it's, it has affected us you know, more than we ever wanted. Um, our, mm-hmm. Fortunately, our operations, because we kind of saw it coming, we were able to make some changes, and we did not shut down a single day of our production. Uh, we, we didn't yeah, change. Yeah, that's good. But, but um, you know, operationally, we haven't stopped. Uh, we just changed what we did. So we, we did... Um, we did produce some hand sanitizer for a couple of weeks, uh, which did change a little bit of our operation. But as far as the, the team being here, um, everyone's been here. We've, we've continued to produce um, our finished goods or our bottles to go on the shelves for our retail customers. Uh, we just did a pivot in the distillery and produced a little bit of alcohol for sanitizer. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're yeah. very... <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad you brought up the, the hand sanitizer production because that's what we we're going to ask you about. Uh, how, how's that been going? Sure. Uh, sanitizer is a is a, a different ball game. Um, you know, we're used to producing, you know, sixty percent alcohol to go into a barrel, and to age for a long time. So in this case, we had to manipulate our distillation system, which is not set up to produce really high alcohol content spirit. Um, so we we spent, I think I was in the plant for about. 18 to 20 hours that day working with one of my night operators trying to get the equipment finessed mm-hmm. as much as we could to, to get alcohol content as high as we could and our uh, what we, we call it our yield so how much alcohol we get out of uh, a, a bushel a measurement of grain you know we expect a certain yield a certain number of gallons of alcohol we were about 50 percent of that we, we basically lost half of the alcohol we normally would have recovered just because you're trying to get it up to such a high proof for the sanitizer. Uh, so that was a, a challenge. Um, but, you know, we've got some really good relationships. Our, our company uh, that my, my dad and my grandfather started in 2010, we actually sold our company to Bacardi, which is a, a big uh, multinational family-owned company that, that has, you know, sure, Bacardi yeah. and other brands. Uh, we sold to them in 2015. So we're now integrated into their manufacturing operations and sales and things like that. Um, so with our connections and their connections, we were able to source all of the ingredients that we needed to make this hand sanitizer very rapidly. So the glycerin, uh, the hydrogen peroxide, the, the labels, the bottles, all of those things, um, within about 48 hours of us making the decision to, to change and pivot, we were putting hand sanitizer in a bottle. Um, so yeah. a lot of that was due to just the supply chain demand that the party has built. They were able to reach out to the suppliers and go, all right, you send us these things, air freight it overnight and do whatever you needed to do. Let's get it here. Um, so between us here at Angels Envy and some of the other plants around the world for the party, the Puerto Rico plant and uh, the plants in uh, UK and in Italy and things like that, um, all combined, I think we produced almost 300,000 gallons of hand sanitizer. So quite a, quite a bit of volume um, and you know, s- still... To this day, releasing some of that, continuing to batch some of that and get it out uh, just to relieve some of the pressure on, on the rest of the industry. Yeah. And I guess, um, so did you guys have to do any staff cuts or anything like that? Or did that kind of tide you over even as you were uh, as you were kind of dealing with the, the 
shut down. Sure. And that's honestly, that's a good question. That's one of those things that, again, it goes kind of back to the party in this acquisition. Being a family company, a privately owned family company, they have done everything in their power to make sure everyone keeps their job. Uh, so in the operation, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, we, we didn't shut down. We continued to operate. Um, we did have a few employees who no longer could work with the loss of uh, childcare. So they are working from home. Anybody who can is is working from home. But those who mm-hmm. couldn't, some of our, our uh, frontline operators who move barrels, blend bottle, things like that, they couldn't come in. We are continuing to pay them on their, uh, we call it admin leave. So they're doing what they can from home. Nice. We, didn't, we didn't want them to worry about, oh my goodness, do I have to do unemployment? How, how, how do I get paid? We're paying them. We're going to take that cost, and it's just the right thing to do. And that's kind of mm-hmm. one of our, you know, our, our company models, anyway. Just do the right thing, and for us, that's the right thing. So, no full time Angels Envy employee in the city of Louisville or any of our uh, any of our national um, employees as well uh, lost their position. We're continuing to pay them whether they're able to physically work or they're not. Is that even the um, like the tour guides and the um, the uh, you know, like the bartenders and that sort of thing as well. Sure. Yeah. All of them as well. So, um, they have a lot of side nice. projects they're working on from home. You know, we're, we're expanding into the e-commerce section segment of the world. So they're, they're supporting that into the business. Uh, and those cool. who are able, uh, we've actually brought into the distillery to continue to work in the operation, uh, because, you know, as part of the social distancing, um, restrictions that have been put on, Normally, our bottling line is staffed with 17 people all together in a relatively small area. So in order to comply with CDC guidelines and keep our employees safe, we had to reduce our number of personnel on the line to 10. So we actually added a second shift of bottling operation. Um, so you know, we can run very efficiently on one shift with 17 people, or we run less efficiently on two shifts with 20 total people, 10 on each. So we actually, um, we, we've used the brand home, our visitor center team. Uh, they've rotated out and, and picked up shifts and, and some additional coverage for us to help us continue to produce. And it also makes sure that they're able to continue their job. Even if they can't give a tour, what's cool for them is they're physically going to be bottling or rolling barrels or doing different things. So when we do open the brand home back up, they'll have a greater understanding of what they're showing people. And they can go, hey, in the last three months, I actually did that and let me tell you about why it's the best job in the world or why oh that's <laughs> yeah that's maybe cool. that's not the best job in the world that kind of thing so <laughs> yeah you hope they say that but you know i guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends on the experience but yeah it's it's funny that you said you've always had an interest in pathology because i was thinking ever ever since i was a kid if i had another life i think i would study infectious diseases so that's kind of funny hmm. that other people are interested in it too um so i was kind of wondering I've, I've recently become interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> So Nobody much interesting, the like, yeah, there's so much interesting media on uh, pandemics and such, like that movie Contagion with Matt Damon. I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but you get my point. <laughs> yeah, I've been scared <laughs> to watch it, but go on. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, so my wife still thinks I'm crazy, but um, asked her if she's seen all of the, the changes and things that, you know, we kind of we prepared for, made sure we had some toilet paper and things like that, because you can see it. Other countries happening quicker than here or on the West Coast happened before it hit the East Coast. So, you know, we ran out to Costco where we shop anyway. And instead of waiting another two weeks when we needed to buy it, we bought it early and now we're fine. So just just little things that I have 
just because I've been paying attention, hey, uh, in Taiwan, they had this issue. Well, it's going to be much worse in the U.S. because we're very disorganized with how we handle things like this. So what, what can we do? Yeah. To and that's really just on a personal level. Um, but, I mean, anything else, you know, it's still, no matter how much you've watched this, the reaction and the way that governments around the world have handled this um, mm -hmm. seems to be more than I ever thought. Um, it's not to say it's a bad thing. You know, I, I think I think there's a, a good argument to be had that this could have been a lot worse if we didn't begin to do things immediately um, or mm -hmm. as immediately um, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We'll we'll look back on this in a couple of years, and, and everybody will go, "Oh, we did it wrong." Well, of course we did. Nobody has any idea what's going on. So, you know, we yeah, did, we it could. is impressive when you think about it. Like the the uh, the ability to shut down the entire world in the matter of a couple of months and just be like, "Okay," you know, across the globe, all these various things got shut down. You're right. It is impressive. Um, I tell you, I remember sitting in my office and I got a news alert that, um, what was the city in China? For some reason, it's escaping me. Wuhan? The yeah, Wuhan, yeah. Um, I saw this news alert that the city of Wuhan had been shut down, and I remember thinking, just looking at that and going, that's scary. Hope I don't hear about that anymore. And of course, it became like this big, uh, huge uh, outbreak that's taken over the world. So. Unfortunately, I did hear about it again. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally understand you're kind of watching it from that far. I, I, I was kind of, you know, I saw that in January, and it's, it, it had been in the back of my mind, but I guess I wasn't watching it close enough. That It was easy to be kind of callous about, like, I remember talking with uh, Zach and Haley, um, Kyle, for you, those are our, some of our coworkers, about the um, coronavirus, out the impending outbreak, and we were just, like, not sure what to make of it and if it was going to yeah. be like this. We certainly had no way to project that it would be like this. Yeah, yeah. And, and like every year, it seems like there's some big story about an outbreak and, and it kind of just goes away. Like yeah. avian flu just kind of went away and H1N1 just kind of went away. And it really didn't change our lives at all. And then like with this, it was just like, oh, this is the the one that they've been, you know, been promising for years. <laughs> so it's finally here. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I talked to um the guy you mentioned Brown Foreman earlier. I talked to them last week about how this is affecting their sales. So I want to get your take on it. I talked to the president of Old Forester about it and he was kind of saying that yeah, on-premise sales are taking a hit, but you know, the retail sales and off-premise have been um have been kind of strong but not enough to cancel it out. So uh I just wanted to see if it was different for your brand. I mean, obviously on-premise you know, you guys aren't selling much in restaurants and bars these days, I'm sure. Uh, even things are coming back a little bit. But, uh, you know, has this been a big uh, impact on your sales or how's that kind of picture look? So for Angels Envy, we've always had a strong footprint in on-premise. You know, that's that's where brands are built. And, and we work very hard to hand sell and right. really go and with bartenders and, and, the, and the, uh, the restaurants and things like that. And yeah, like you said, basically zero. You know, that, that whole business for the last 60 to 70 days is, is zero. Um, we did pick up some volume in retail. Um, the, you know, the, the brick and mortar stores are, people are still drinking. You know, they, they're, they're bored. They're, they're looking for something to do. And we're trying That's to do yeah. things online. 
but no, it, it is not made up that volume. What we do expect is as things open back up, uh, people will very, be very cautious for the first several months. Uh, but I think the activity at bars and retail, while, while it's going to change, I think it'll come roaring back throughout the course of the year. And we fully expect to, to gain all of those lost sales over the last two months um, back. Mm-hmm. As far as our brand is concerned, it's more of just a timing thing. Yeah, our, our sales were way down the first, you know, our quarter actually, our, sorry, our, our fiscal year starts in April. So our sales were way down for the first month or two of the fiscal year. But we really think it'll pick back up and, and be just fine by the end of the year. Uh, obviously, we'll so. see how it goes, how it trends. But, you know, we're not. We're not terribly worried about it. We're pretty. We're pretty certain rebound will come. Yeah, I feel like uh, premium brands probably do very well on premise because it's not as much of an investment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if distilleries can open, reopen on June eighth, um, what are you kind of expecting? Like, is it going to be a big crowd? Uh, how do you plan to to manage the social distancing? We are sort of unique um, in the in the industry that. In our production facility, there is there's no separation from our visitor center and our production. You you walk into the production, so you're interacting with fermentations. Uh, you can interact, touch barrels, and really get up close and personal with our people and with our process. So obviously, that's a that's a tremendous risk um, because right. if one of our employees gets sick, we shut the plant down, we sanitize, we clean, and, and we lose that manufacturing time. Um, so we are working with our our brand home team with the KDA, um, who has provided tremendous amounts of support um, in in planning and, and different scenarios and how we handle it. Um, we're working with um, CDC, uh, the Discus, the Distilled Spirits Council, and then Bacardi's global team on the best way to manage that. Um, so for us, step one is going to be opening the retail center. So that's the uh, gift shop downstairs. We, we plan on doing that sometime in pretty early June. Um, and that'll be phase one of, you know, maybe 10 different phases. We don't really know how many they're going to be. Uh, and that's just to get our team comfortable with how do we how do we handle visitors coming in? Not even bringing into the operation and doing tours. Just walking in the door, buying a bottle, saying hello. From there, yeah. we go, okay, we're very small personal tours anyway. We never have more than 12 people on a tour. Do mm-hmm. we need to reduce the number of people on a tour? More than likely for the, the next, you know, several months, very, it's very possible. Um, but until we really get into it, what are the guidelines going to be? How do we keep our tour guides safe? How do we keep our retail staff safe, our operations employees? And, and just as much the visitor that comes in, how do we keep them safe in this type of environment? That will dictate how and when we do these things. So, you know, over the next five or six months, we'll, we'll hopefully get back to a, our old normal. Everybody calling a new normal. I'm not really sure it's ever a new normal, but um, hopefully over the next six months, yeah. I think we'll see a lot of that open back up. But slowly, carefully, I would say if anybody is interested, you know, we post pretty regular updates on our Angels Envy website and um, our 500 main program, social media, things like that. Um, and, you know, I, I now weekly I'm posting different uh, videos, walking through the process, doing some virtual type tours. So, Anybody who's not doesn't feel comfortable coming into the setting, we're beginning to share that that information, that content with people. So you don't have to come. Obviously, it's very different. You guys have seen videos of distilleries, and you've been in distilleries. Very, very different situation. Um, but we're mm-hmm. we're beginning to 
engage people and allow them if they're not comfortable or, or, or if we're unable to make sure everybody's safe, there's different ways to experience it as well. Definitely. And I think you're right. Thinking that people are maybe going to be a little shy coming out first and you'll probably see more people toward the end of the year. That's probably a, a fair assumption. How big of a part of your operation is tourism? Is that just a side business for you guys or is that pretty substantial? So our tourism aspect, I mean, we, we had, what, about 100,000 people come through last year. So it's it's not hmm. small. Yeah. Not, not by any Sounds that uh, sounds substantial, but you know we don't look at it as a way to make money. We're not trying to make a profit or anything necessarily. It is a way to share our brand, and the best way to do that is to have people experience it in person, very personal. You can touch, feel, smell, hear, um, you know, all of these different aspects, and we really want to educate and share our knowledge with with the consumer. Um, so it's it's a very key point of how we market and how we share our brand with people but it is it is it a huge part of our business no no most of our product is still sold all over the u.s so we still right. expect to have most of that but as far as our brand is concerned huge part of the brand so it is very important yeah. to get it open as safely and as quickly as we can what do you think the the long-term outlook of this is going to be. Hold on, let me get my crystal ball out and uh, <laughs> a ball. Try again later. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I have, I I could you know make a hundred different guesses and they'll all be wrong. Um, I, I this is going to probably, at least for a generation or so, change everything. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot about the uh, Spanish influenza pandemic. The 1918, 1920, 1920, that area. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that whole generation that was alive during that and, and went through the Great Depression, they just, they did things differently than the next two or three generations did. I, I think we'll revert back to a lot of that. People will have victory type gardens. They're going to try to be a little more self-sufficient. Um, so, you know, personal things like that, I think that's going to happen. I think it's a good thing for people. Uh, you know, a lot of people rely way too much on other people to survive. Um, there needs to be a little bit more independence, and this will help in that path. Um, mm -hmm. Professionally, you know, work from home, while it's not the best thing in the world, for some people it is. And mm -hmm. it's it's going to have a big impact. You know, people like Humana here in Louisville, I think a lot of people already work from home from them anyway. They, they previously did. My, my assumption is... They're going to have even more because they've demonstrated that it's possible. And a lot of their employees probably prefer it. It provides them more flexibility. I know some of our yeah. employees here in, at Angels Envy, they do prefer it. As long as they have the option to come in when they need to. Right now, they don't. We're not allowing any non-manufacturing people in the building. But mm -hmm. um, in the future, once we're kind of back back operating under more normal circumstances, I imagine a lot of them will, will try to do some mixed work. Which before, you know, that was unheard of. But now, well, we know it works. Why not try it? So things like that will yeah. be, be different. I really, um, you know, I, I, we're talking about it internally. Are we going to have a social distancing type program where we're not going to allow groups of people more than 10 together at all? You know, how long is that going to happen? Honestly, we're planning on at least a year, if not more. 
Um, so, you know, what does that look like for our operation? How does that affect our operation? How does that affect visitor centers? How does it affect events? You know, we do 80 to 100 large, more than 10 people events a year. And we do those anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking about it too. Um, it's kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that some things get less crowded as a result of all this, <laughs> like bars. I'm, uh, Derby. I'm on the record at being, at being annoyed at going to a bar and I have to stand like three deep back in order to like order a drink from someone. So I'm hoping that kind of like chills out and, uh, and also airplanes, you know, it's like, over the years, we've just gotten more and more cramped on airplanes. Maybe this will finally space us out. <laughs> and so, like, we have, like, leg room again. <laughs> but uh, those are just a few of my favorite things to gripe about. So, uh, what, the, what the airplanes are going to do, they're going to build individual cocoon coffins. So you'll have even less <laughs> yeah. breathing. <laughs> That's true. They'll just pack us in there like cargo. <laughs> um, let's see here. So... We always do like more than one topic on the show, and I've I just kind of went with a um, kind of a general one for this week. Since you're on, I didn't want to have you asking. I didn't want to ask you about some industry specific thing that you weren't, you had no idea, you know, about. So I uh, just figured I'd pick reopening. Um, but uh, let's see. So the, the economy continues to reopen. Last weekend we had restaurants open at thirty three percent as well as barbershops and salons, bowling alleys, fitness centers, childcare operations reopening later this month. Did you guys go back to restaurants, um, you know, over the weekend? Did you did you have a chance to go back or are you kind of waiting it out? So personally for me, uh, we still have not gone back. So we're still doing takeout. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my was over this weekend, so my wife and I got some takeout and had dinner with my daughter. Yeah, you got to take your precautions, you know. How about you, Sarah? Absolutely not. I um, <laughs> Not <probably>. you. <laughs> <laughs> no. The only retail I'm doing is the grocery store, and that's only for essentials because I, I can stay off. I can stay out <laughs> and, and be okay. So that's, that's what I'm going to do until we have, I don't know, a vaccine or something. Mm, I don't know if I'm going to wait that long. Um, <laughs> I, I tell go you crazy. what, we had, uh, yeah, we had one editor on our staff go out over the weekend. He said it, he felt okay. He was outside and they had everything pretty spaced out. Uh, and then I was reading some reports from, uh, from our restaurant reporter, Haley. Um, she had, uh, she said that like, uh, she talked to, uh, Valare, uh, Muscle and Burger Bar. And uh, I can't remember the other one. She talked to another one as well. And they all reported having like pretty decent weekends. Um, you know, most people wanted to sit outside, uh, even though it was kind of hot and rainy <laughs> over the weekend. But uh, but I think like people ease back. My theory is the safest weekend to go was last weekend because now all the, the virus counts are going to tick up. So if you go like two or three weekends from now, um, you probably are in, you're probably less safe than you would have been last week. But uh, I haven't yet either. Um, I've asked my wife uh, if she wants to go because our anniversary is coming up and uh, she uh, she's kind of like. It's kind of like, nah, I don't think so. And I'm kind of more bullish. I'm like, yeah, come on, we'll sit outside. It'll be okay. And she's like, nah, <laughs> so I probably won't. I just, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to defer to her and she's probably safe. <laughs> so, uh, 
<laughs> so I probably won't end up uh, anywhere for a while either. But I guess we'll just see how it goes with the testing and that sort of Yeah, she's the reasonable one. Um, let's see here. What's that? You cut out just a little bit. I say, isn't that always the case? The the woman tells you how it is, and she's usually right. Sure. And um, <laughs> yeah, and she she works out at the um, you know she she kind of is out in the middle of this, and where I've been um, quarantined for two months, so maybe that's why she's a little more like I have to deal with this every day. I have to go out every day, uh, and you and whereas I'm like I've been in the house basically since March aside from a few trips here and there. Um, so I think maybe that's why I'm a little more antsy about it than she is. Um, let's see. Is there anything that you guys super want to come back? Are you, are you jonesing for a, a, a trip to, to a bowling alley or, or to, to get a haircut or anything like that? Uh, Sarah, I'll start with you on this. I'm definitely jonesing to get a haircut, but I I saw this scary article I'm not sure what outlet it was from, but it was saying that like two hairdressers inadvertently exposed like 140 clients to COVID. And I obviously think I saw that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously it's their fault. Like you got to go to work to live, but I really want to get my haircut and I'm not going to go get my haircut. I'm going to look on YouTube uh, and see if I self chop at home. So uh, get, get ready for that. But I, um, I really, I really just want to go back out to bars and because I live near bars now and I really just want mm-hmm. to go out and have a drink like normal with my friends. Um, eventually that would be, yeah, so nice. that's, that's true. If you lived in like kind of a bar restaurant area, I guess you're, you're much more itching to go. Uh, yeah. Kyle, how about you? And you think uh, super on your, on your radar as far as getting reopened? I've got two things. One is more what my wife is demanding is a haircut. So I normally yeah. get my haircut about every four weeks, and I have not had it since February 13th. Um, so it has been probably the longest I've ever had my hair in more than 10 years. And <laughs> as I'm getting older, it's starting to, to gray and silver out a little bit. So she's she's going, nope, 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 nope. I, you know, <laughs> I have to do it. Um, so I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping I can get her an appointment in the next couple weeks. Um, otherwise, you know, in my free time, I smoke a lot of cigars. I enjoy a cigar with a book or with a cocktail. Um, so mm-hmm. a friend of mine owns, um, match and Riverside lounge across the river in, in Jefferson. Oh yeah, I know the place. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to their bar reopening. Um, they just did a huge renovation while everything was down because they had the time and they, they really spruced the place up, created a really cool outdoor area that, um, I think would be really nice. But they can't open. The bars aren't opening yet. So whenever they open yeah. and we can safely get over there, that'll probably be my first stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love to hear stories of people who made the best of this time and, you know, renovated something or, you know, tried to try to find a new way to do things. So, um, well, I think that's it for this week's show. But before I sign off, um, We'll go around the quote unquote room and let you guys share your social media handles. Uh, Kyle, are you on social media? Are you like a, an active tweeter or anything like that? I'm, I'm more Instagram. I have a Twitter, but I don't really use it. Um, so my Instagram handle is Main Street Bourbon Maker. That's Main ST Bourbon Maker. Uh, and right. I post all the stuff about the distillery and everything on there. 
Very cool. I'll follow you right after this. And uh, Sarah, how about you? Yeah, you can keep up with me on LinkedIn as Sarah Shadberg, or you can catch me on Twitter at BFLuSarah, and then you can find me on Instagram, Sarah.Shadburn. All right. You can find me on Instagram at DMan3001 or on Twitter at BFLuDavid. Uh, that's it for this week. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to the Access Louisville podcast. We're on popular services like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio Public. Reviews are also welcome. We like those if you have them. Uh, thank you very much, Kyle and Sarah, and thank you guys for listening at home. And until next time, bye.